Chapter 8. Create a Pace of Grace. Moderation is the silken string running through the pearl chain of all virtues. It's by Joseph Hall. Every day is a good day. Wouldn't it be lovely if before sleep each night we could say wholeheartedly, this has been a good day? When we are suffering from fatigue, overwhelm, or guilt, it is hard to trust this simple possibility. Before I gleaned the gifts of my illness, I confess that at the end of each working day, it felt more like I had been running in a marathon and had again, once again failed to finish. After post-polio hit, I had days of fatigue after which I simply felt used up for no particular reason, for no particular purpose, which was even more depressing. I remember laying on the couch one day when it seemed almost too much of an effort to breathe. I could not imagine having the energy to move or work ever again. The notion of resuming our world travels seemed as remote as the furthest star. After the ten rules were given to me, it was like learning to live again at an entirely different pace. I also discovered that it is life-giving and energizing not to waste time being unhappy about a particular day. When I experience contentment with my energy level and my capacity to do things or not, it keeps my soul on an even keel. Time is one of our most valuable non-renewable resources. A life of grace requires us to manage it mindfully. This chapter, we will help you explore your own stewardship of time to discern your own rhythm of sustainability, to find your balance. It involves a gentle shift into a lifestyle of grace that will not only sustain you spiritually and physically, but will also help you to be, dare I say, more productive. When you relax into the virtues of moderation, peacefulness and contentment, you will find that you no longer digress into scattered, anxious multitasking. Thus, the energy you spend working on whatever task is before you will be far more purposeful and focused. After I began to practice the Ten Rules for Health, my faith in the goodness of each day was gradually restored. Little by little, day by day, I was able to emerge from total exhaustion and begin to have the energy to walk, to work, to cook a meal. Now I have abundant energy and I can trust it to be there as long as I continue to practice the rules for health, as long as I refill my cup before it empties. As I recovered, I found that of the 10 rules, the one that seemed to have the greatest impact on my energy was the concept of pacing, 
to detect my own energy cycle and rest proactively, as suggested in the fourth and fifth rules for health. Rule number four, proactive rest. Take two rests each day. Do it as a routine. Stop before you get tired. Rule number five, pace yourself. You have four hours a day for work, sometimes six. Choose carefully. Keep your correspondence current. Enjoy. Enjoy. Rest. Pace yourself. Choose well. Enjoy your time. What radical ideas these were for me when I first received them. Yet, of all the ten rules, these two simple practices have made the greatest difference in sustaining my energy and my peace every day. Be a good steward. Being a good steward of the time and energy we are given is essential to sustaining a graceful life. Of all the elements required in healing and energy illness or an overwhelming lifestyle, I have come to believe that the most vital is the willingness to discern and then sustain our pace of grace. This means that rest must become as much a priority and part of our routine as meals, exercise, and other basic measures we take to sustain ourselves day to day. I often tell audiences of the three R's of energy conservation, rest, rest, and rest. Can you imagine taking guilt-free naps? At first, I was reluctant to make rest and two rests a day at that part of my daily routine. I had associated naps with a wimpy kind of indulgence and indignance. Now I think of them as delicious, diligent, and delightful. I've seen how rest has restored my energy a hundredfold, and also, as it happens, increased my productivity. Energy is like water in a cup. When it is drained, it must be refilled. The pandemic practice of overdoing has put millions of people at risk of being drained so often and so much that they end up becoming ill with fatigue and stress. I believe this is a form of needless suffering. We make this choice, but there is another way to live. Just as we have the choice to create order and grace in our homes by eliminating clutter a powerful way to reinvigorate ourselves physically and spiritually is by learning to pace ourselves. Energy conservation is the main ingredient in coping with the stress of daily demands. It is the synchanon of restoring energy when life or illness has exhausted us. Good stewardship of our energy is also the most important step in the prevention of burnout. To conserve our energy, we all have 
all we have to do is regulate the flow and eliminate the excess. If I repeat myself, it is because without this practice of pacing, all the other energy restoration practices will fail. Most individuals resist this simple truth that we must undertake rest and restore with vigilance, or no matter how faithfully we follow the other rules for health, recovery from the fog of fatigue, overwhelming guilt will be utterly impossible. We have to believe in free will. We've got no choice. It's a quote from Isaac Bashivis Singer, author. Why we avoid rest. For a number of reasons, I've found proactive rest to be not only the most significant step in creating a sustainable lifestyle, but also the most challenging. First, the notion of a slower, less intense pace flies in the face of the collective worship of consumerism, the compulsion of our age to have more, and the driven, multitasking lifestyle that we have somehow come to venerate. We romanticize excess as a sign of success, despite the fact that it is destroying our peace, our health, and above all, our contentment with the simple joys life has to offer. Even on our days off, we face an enormous array of cultural, recreational, and vol volunteer possibilities. Too often we are busy, but we are not happy. When meeting with community leaders in a small, slow-paced island nation in the South Pacific, I asked them to share their greatest challenges. I heard the same answer from every one of them that I have heard from busy executives in major cities. The Deputy Minister of Health and Director of Nursing, who's also in charge of cleaning services and food services for the hospital, said that lack of time was her greatest challenge. I had drawn four circles on a board representing the priorities for care that give us the greatest energy. Self being the inner circle, then family, then the workplace, then the community. I have it all inside out, she said. My priorities are work, which serves the community, then family, and last, myself. I am always exhausted with too much to do, so I never get to self-care. I have to admit, I'm burning out. I have also encountered resistance to regular rest in individuals with severe energy illnesses. Sashi, a former marathon runner and mother of a 10-year-old daughter, has myasthenia. Uh, as Myasthenia gravis, myasthenia gravis, sorry, M-Y-A-S-T-H-E-N-I-A, and gravis, B-R-G-R-A-V-I-S. 
She is so often laid low by exhaustion, unable to do anything productive, that when she has even a faint increase in energy, she pushes herself to accomplish something. After attending a Pace of Grace workshop, Sashi enforced a number of rest, uh, sorry, a routine of rest, and found that her energy supply increased exponentially. A few years ago, radical Brazilian educator Paulo Freire was attending a conference of Midwestern political activists and heard constant remarks about how overwhelmed people felt about the duties they faced each day. Finally, he rose to his feet and in slow, heavily accented English declared, we are bigger than our schedules. The audience roared with applause. One of the blessings of these uncertain times is that many of us have been shocked out of complacency about this unbearable lifestyle. We are making the radical choice to become the ar ar architects of our own time and to seek a sustainable balance for ourselves every day. In the aftermath of September 11th, we come to a dawning awareness of the preciousness of life. I personally know dozens of individuals and couples who decided to take that trip they have been saving for or who sat down and said, what do we really want out of our life? Some have changed their work hours in an effort to live more mindfully with more moderation instead of more money and in search of contentment rather than consumption. They possess a deeper willingness to accept what each day brings and to let go of what doesn't get done. Find your flow. I discovered the joy of tennis in my 30s after a lifetime of believing I was a sports klutz because of some early teasing and the awkwardness I felt after polio left me with scoliosis. I was an accomplished dancer before I had polio at the age of 11. But even after a year of physiotherapy to bring me back to walking and moving normally again, I lacked the confidence to play sports of any kind. When I was in my 30s, our family moved to Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, one of America's tennis capitals, and I became an avid spectator. One afternoon, I was watching Australian player Yvonne Golagon in a match against Billie Jean King. Yvonne seemed to be in a state of total bliss, as if she was doing an in in intricate yet flowing dance, always back to center after each fluid movement. It was irresistible. I had to learn to play. I became a dedicated and fairly adept player, joined a women's league, and played in tournaments. I even practiced in a court next to Yvonne from time to time. Far more confident at this stage of life, I wasn't concerned about how I would look. I just wanted to share in that bliss I had witnessed. I discovered the feeling of flow. 
the still point in the midst of chaos, the suspension of all distractions, being fully and utterly in the moment, just my breath, the ball, and the racket as an extension of my body. It was exhilarating. Twenty years later, when polio impacted my life for the second time, I discovered a new dimension to that flow. It occurred when I had recovered sufficiently from post-polio fatigue to once again accept international speaking invitations. It was also the story of how I received the title for this book. Although I had been practicing the Ten Rules of Health for nearly a year and was feeling much better, I had kept myself off the speaker's circuit for months. The nightmare of my last keynote talk lingered. I burned with embarrassment every time I remembered standing, shaking with fatigue, in front of several hundred managers and staff from companies such as General Motors, Kraft Foods, and U.S. West. For some reason, the speaker's podium and the stage lighting was on one level, and the lower sorry, the overhead projector with my slides could only be accessed by a set of detached, rickety steps down with no hand railing to hold on to. The silence went on and on as I left the microphone and tottered up and down the steps over and over. My mind blanked out the talk I had prepared, and I practically fell off the stage with humiliation and exhaustion. The worst part was that my brilliant, vibrant husband was my co-speaker, yet I didn't have the presence of mind to step aside gracefully and let him carry on. I just soldiered through my half of the talk. Almost a year later, I emailed the organization an offer I thought they couldn't refuse, explaining I had been ill and offering to speak at another conference gratis. Their silence was deafening. After a year, I felt well enough to consider getting back on the circuit, yet I had huge concerns about whether I would speak with my old energy much less be able to facilitate an intensive Virtues Project workshop of several days. The first opportunity my husband and I accepted was a tour in the South Pacific for several weeks, including a five-day Virtues Project facilitator training in Rorotonga, Cook Islands. I knew we would be working with government leaders, as well as villagers, some of them with strong English and some with little. A challenge under the best of circumstances. On the first morning before departing for the venue, I expressed my fears in prayer. I asked, how will I be able to sustain my energy and offer excellence to these people? You know, I can hardly stand for a few, more than a few minutes. I heard in response, keep a pace of grace. 
I felt a tingling sensation in my body as I wrote these words in my journal and contemplated them for several minutes. I spoke them out loud so I could hear them. I felt a peace come over me and knew I was ready. This seminar turned out to be the most seamless one I've ever given. Instead of pushing the agenda along so the participants would perfect, perfect their understanding of the Virtues Project strategies, I flowed with their receptivity. Laughter and tears flowed too as participants received deep awareness of the virtues as their inner gifts. While I took the time during the lunch break to rest on the mattress I had asked the coordinators to provide, all the participants were free to rest as well. Later on in the tour in countries such as Australia, where my husband and I had presented virtue sem seminars many times, I received feedback from one of our facilitators who had often seen me present before. That quality of my speaking and teaching had deepened and become more graceful. As Dan said to the participants, you don't have to get it right, you just have to get it. Instead of pressuring participants to get it all and have instant faculty with the five strategies of the Virtues Project, I understand for the first time the value of their experiencing the message of virtues at a deep level. Not only was I sustaining myself through a pace of grace, I was nurturing those I was teaching. Whatever we are doing, there's a state of flow. Whether we're making love, making a meal, negotiating a contract, teaching a class, or doing our best to live through a day of fatigue, Finding our own pace of grace allows us to enter a state of flow. Seek pristine momentum. I once asked a young man of 17 what it was about skateboarding that made it his passion. He closed his eyes, smiled rapturously and said, it's the pristine momentum. Momentum is hardly a state that one who's bogged down with fatigue would ever hope to attain again. Yet for me, it emerged as a promise concealed in the fourth and fifth rules for health. Proactive rest and pace yourself. Pristine momentum is our reward for discerning our own rhythm, our pace for the day. I found that I needed to focus on rules four and five together in order to detect my cycle of energy on a particular day. To rest proactively means we don't work until we run out of energy, the typical style for most of us, if we're truthful. Give up until you drop seems to be the common practice. How noble. What sacrifice. Yet the net result is a deterioration of our energy supply and a reduction in overall functioning. There is nothing noble about running on fumes. 
Does it make sense for us to end the day by giving our most irritable, exhausted, cranky hours to our families? Athletes know the value of pacing themselves. There are lessons to be learned from the energy conservation practices of long-distance athletes, such as cyclists. The Tour de France is a team sport. Interestingly, it is the slower members of the team who set the pace. They ride in front of the fastest cycles, cyclists as long as possible, and when their energy is spent, the faster cyclists pull out and speed up for the final miles. The wisdom in this is that if the fastest cyclists set the pace with too much speed, there would be too high a danger of burnout before the goal is won. Once we discern the natural rhythm of our energy as it moves and flows, recedes and returns, we will know the ideal times to rest, to restore and to revive ourselves. Each day will be a good day. Since I began this practice of pacing and proactive rest, I have experienced so much more joy and satisfaction that it often feels as if I'm in the flow of a gentle river, experiencing pristine momentum. Rest proactively. One way to sustain our momentum is to rest before we get tired. Proactive rest, or as my friend Radha Sahar has named it, being pro-restive, means to be so mindful of our energy flow that we consciously stop to rest before the flow starts to drop off. I discovered that if I waited until I was drained to rest, it took much longer to refill my energy supply. This new pace of grace requires that we plan the pauses in our days. I found that once my energy level was healthy, this practice required true self-discipline. For me, the four-hour cycle suggested in Rule 5 was very helpful. In the morning, four hours after I started being active for the day, I would lie down on the couch. In the afternoon, I would rest sitting up watching Oprah on television or reading. We can reach a point of no return if we are in a state of fatigue and fail to rest early enough. We will be forced onto our backs far longer if our fatigue gets out of control. I found that if I went beyond my energy cycle without resting, I would have what would have the following symptoms, lightheadedness, tiredness, hunger, a drop in sh blood sugar, shallow breathing, a heavy chested sensation, a raise in temperature, mental waffiness, and fogging brain. Whenever you notice any of these symptoms, particularly if you're becoming flush or your temperature is rising, this is a signal to stop whatever you're doing and gently take yourself off for a rest. I've often seen this pattern of symptoms in others, including people with chronic fatigue, post-traumatic fatigue, as the result of whiplash from an accident, 
or a host of other energy-related illnesses. Not being a person in the habit of taking any notice of my body, much less listening to it or having compassion for it, the mindfulness required to detect when to lay down before the symptoms of fatigue appeared took some doing. Several months after resting on a four-hour cycle, I discovered that six hours would work just as well. I work in a total of only six hours a day whenever possible. As an early riser, this means that I am working at home. Sorry, this means that when I am working at home, whether writing or doing office work, my workday ends early in the afternoon. I then have leisure time to play, walk, clean, cook, or spend quality time with people I love. And I have more time for solitude. When my husband and I are on the road speaking at conferences or giving seminars, I set boundaries around times for rest. I either return to our room or, if the venue is separate from our accommodation, I go to a prearranged rest area our clients provide. At times, it has been a supply closet with a sleeping bag. As long as I can lie down, I know I can restore my energy. Everyone's rhythm differs. If you've been ill or exhausted, your rhythm will be different from times when you are at your peak of energy. I recommend that you experiment. Perhaps you can begin as I did by creating a space in your day for two rests, one four hours after you begin your day and another four hours later. I find that for most healthy people, a rest six hours after they get up seems to be the time they need it. If you rise at 7 a.m., your rest time would be at 1, just after lunch. Try it, even if it means laying your head down on your arms at your desk for 15 minutes. It will reinvigorate you. Look back on, looking back on my work. Sorry. Looking back on my work life with a truthful eye. I recall years of slogging through afternoon hours getting little or nothing done. Once I established a routine of resting before I got tired, I was often able to say at the end of the day, this has been a good day. Pursue the perfect nap. I have become a confirmed napper. Forced to slow down in order to survive physically, I clearly saw that unless I continued to keep a true pace of grace, I would be risking my hard-won health. More importantly, I could not and would not go back to an overwhelming, supercharged lifestyle. I've discovered an unfamiliar joy in living more simply, pacing my days with gentleness and rest. I refuse to give it up and re-enter a state of fog, no matter how energized I become. My health has been amazingly restored by keeping moderate working hours and pre-planning regular times of rest. 
One day I was speaking on the phone with a friend who was battling cancer and had only months to live. Her goal was to survive until her son and daughter graduated from university that June. I mentioned to her how much better I was feeling because of my naps. She said that she was living on borrowed time and wanted to get the most out of every day, so she just shouldered through. What troubled her was that she was cranky with her husband and children. She decided to try my formula of proactive rest on the four-hour cycle. She called me a week later full of enthusiasm for her new lifestyle. Even though I'm still not able to get much done, I have more to give, she said. I'm drained unless I take my proactive rest. Now I feel refreshed most of the day, and I'm more like my old self. The next week, a gift from her arrived in the mail. Sark's Change Your Life Without Getting Out of Bed, the ultimate nap book. I heartily recommended it. My friend did indeed meet her goal, and though she was frail, she lived just long enough to celebrate her children's graduation. The last months of her life held an added gentleness because of her increased self-care. She replaced her understandable greed for time with a pace of grace and received far more quality time with her family. Let me share my perfect nap. When I am at home, I prefer to lie on the couch rather than going back to bed. Bed is for a good night's sleep. Naps are special and for me require a special place. I have a large, comfortable couch that holds me firmly and gently. On the couch, a beautiful quilt is folded. It's just the right weight. Beneath it is a pillow of the right height to support my head. Covered by a clean pillowcase in a matching color, a novel sits ready on the coffee table beside my ever-present bottle of water. When I'm traveling and speaking, I typically, typically go back to the hotel room during prearranged breaks in the day and have my novel, a book of bottle of spring water, and a pile of pillows waiting. I always order up extra pillows for support. I often rest for 20 minutes, then return to what I'm doing, refreshed and ready. I keep a small alarm clock handy in case I fall asleep. Naps are the adult version of a child's fort, a love of privacy and a place for make-believe. Rest adds strength to our souls. That's a quote from Sark change your life without getting out of bed. Curl up with a good book. Why the novel? Reading protects me from thinking about the work I've just left or the audience waiting for me to return an hour later. Immersing myself in an engaging story allows my mind to rest and my body to relax. It also helps me to drift off to sleep. Carol Shields, author of 
unless said novels help us turn down the volume of our own interior discourse. If you have a nine to five job and cannot have the perfect nap at work, take time off your days. Sorry, take time on your days off to indulge rather than filling every single weekend with activities. Plan for it. Everyone needs quiet time, downtime, even your kids. Favorite novels to curl up with. So here's the list. Fried Green Tomatoes and Other Novels by Fanny Flagg. Practical Magic and Other Novels by Alice Hoffman. The Underpainter and Other Novels by Jane Yearcart. Sea Glass and Other Novels by Anita Shreve. The Shell Seekers and Dozens of Others by Rosamund Pilcher. The Pelican Brief and Other Novels by John Grisham. The Stone Diaries and Other Novels by Carol Shields. Pigs in Heaven and Other Novels by Barbara Kingsolver. What We Keep and Other Novels by Elizabeth Berg. Alias Grace and Other Novels by Margaret Atwood. Suzanne's Diary for Nicholas and Other Novels by James Patterson. The Power of One and Dozens of Historical, no historical Novels by Bryce Courtney. The Hand I Fan With by Tina McElroy Ansa. True Lies by Margaret Johnson Hodge. Bel Canto and The Magician's Assistant by Anne Patchett. And Whispers and dozens of other novels by Dean Koontz. Protect Yourself from Busy Mind. One of the symptoms of fatigue illness is interrupted sleep at night. Many things can cause it, joint or muscle pain, overstimulation during the evening, or an unexpected stress during the day. Also, many people require less sleep as they age and find that they wake up at least once during the night and cannot return to sleep easily. The worst thing about this form of insomnia is what a friend calls busy mind, the obsessive swirling thoughts and worries that go round and round, but we never resolve. This causes tension, stress, and further wakefulness. I have found that a good novel illuminated by a small reading light to keep my husband from being disturbed stops the circular thinking before it gets started and allows me to return to sleep quite quickly. Homeopathic remedies such as Calm Fort are helpful too. When I started this journey, I had pictures of the right way to be and the right things to do. 
Now this quilt, this book, this life is teaching me to trust, no matter what life turns out to be, even if it is not what I expected or what I thought I wanted. Susan Bender Have restorative quickies. There are times when a particular day's schedule simply does not permit a rest for more than a few minutes. A quick way to restore energy is to take five to ten minutes in a quiet area, such as an office with the door closed. Use one or more of the yoga exercises in Chapter 3 to refresh your breathing. Think of a peaceful scene you have visited in the past and meditate that you are there now. These few minutes will restore you when a rest is not possible. Margaret, an active, vibrant friend of mine who has lived for many years with multiple sclerosis, has a very graceful way of resting, even when she's out and about. She goes quietly to her car for her rest during a busy day of facilitating virtues workshops, chauffeuring grandchildren, or attending meetings as a volunteer in her church community. She lays her head back on the headrest and goes to sleep for 15 or 20 minutes. She's completely relaxed and refreshed by this practice. When at home, she says, I curl up for 20 minutes with our two cats. Margaret has a youthful radiance about her, reflecting both the joy she creates in her life with her excellent practices of self-care, including proactive rest. She says, my activities help me to forget about my MS. I would never just stay home doing nothing. Doing something purposeful gives me so much extra energy. Rest is the time to meditate and restore. You need that rest, just like you need lunch. Create a workplace of grace. You might consider it impossible to keep a regular routine of proactive rest during a normal busy day at work. However, many workplaces now understand the value of rest and are providing space and time for employees to restore themselves through power naps. One of the most creative and beautiful rest spaces I've ever seen in a workplace was at the PBS affiliate television station KCTS in Seattle. I was there to discuss a potential television show on the virtues. The producer told me we were meeting in the quiet room, which had been created as a memorial to two beloved staff members killed in a car accident. I was amazed to walk into a room with soft lighting and silence, insulated from the noise of a busy television station. One wall covered by news, sorry, one wall covered by wallpaper containing a forest of birches with soft light pouring into the trees. A real birch tree graces the corner. Comfortable couches in muted earth colors of rust, moss, and soft gold are arranged to create smaller spaces for rest or conversation. 
The room has an aura of peace, even reverence. What a simple gift to give employees, letting them know you are valued. You have the right to rest. We nurture you here. Peace is productive. Some organizations have discovered that routinely providing a quiet space or time not only nurtures employees, but also dramatically increases productivity. The owner of a real estate company name became enamored of meditation and found it energized him so much, he decided to teach his realtors. Each day, they were there were periods of silent meditation in the office. To his delight and astonishment, their productivity soared by 400%. Schools throughout the world are applying that are applying the Virtues Project as their character education program start the day with the Virtues Reflection Time. The principal or student reads a paragraph each day on the virtue of the week or of the month over the public address system while students listen in silence. Then they take a few moments to reflect on it and share in their homerooms their own thoughts on this virtue, a time they have practiced it, or how they will use it today. This practice creates a source of peace for enhanced learning and results in dramatically reduced discipline referrals as well. Once Proactive rest became part of my daily routine. I noticed that I felt unusually peaceful rather than anxious about how much I could get done. Somehow knowing that rest was coming soon quieted me down. To my surprise, the days and now years of my recovery have been the most productive of my life. When one of my close closest friends learned that I had accomplished what I had accomplished in three months. She said, Linda, I honestly can't believe this. How did you do it? When I described the power of pacing, she was all ears. The virtue of moderation. I call that true piety which most removes earth aches and ills, where one is moderate in eating and in resting and in sport, measured in wish and act, sleeping betimes, waking betimes for duty. It's the Bhagavad Gita 6.17. Moderation creates balance in our lives. It is having enough, not too much or not too little. It is using self-discipline to keep from overdoing. Moderation is what keeps us from being blown about in the winds of our desires. Signs of success. I'm practicing moderation when I know what I need and get enough no more, no less, take care of my health by getting enough of what I need, use self-discipline to stop myself from overdoing, balance work and play in my life, 
set boundaries for myself, am content with enough. And the affirmations, I am moderate, I am thankful and content to get what I need, work, rest and play are balanced in my life, I don't overdo or underdo, but find what's just right for me. Don't work harder, work smarter. When we are kind to ourselves by setting a pace of grace, it naturally flows that anxiety about getting it all done will no longer distract us from giving our best attention in the time we allot ourselves. Sometimes the most innovative ideas come when we step away from our work. Providing a space for grace is also about giving room for creativity to supply fresh ideas. If you are struggling with a naughty problem, don't bite and claw your way into it. Stop and rest your mind. Invite inspiration. The knot may unravel in some simple, unexpected way. Some jobs ha give us no choice. Our hours are set. However, we have the freedom to choose how to spend the rest of our time, creating quality moments in ways that really matter or drifting into mindless hyper-scheduling. A peaceful mind is simply a more productive mind. When we are able to approach our work in a more focused, orderly way, especially if we are applying the principles of order and beauty in our workspace. With the power of relaxed concentration, the work we are doing becomes an engaging delight rather than a chore. Put people first. What's the purpose of our time? Isn't it to spend it on the, what is most important? The Maori of New Zealand have a saying that reflects a long-cherished value. What is important? It is the people. It is the people. It is the people. In my work as a hospice spiritual care director, I found that only two things matter at the end of our time on this earth, love and service. As they are dying, folks seem to care the most about their relationships and also about what difference they have made. No one ever seems to say, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Yet in our drivenness, we do often sacrifice relationships for work, which we deem to be all so all important. Take your time. One of the symptoms of the unsustainable task for focused graceless life to which we have succumbed is that we and our children are chronically rushed. Because we are exhausted and sleep deprived, bringing files and briefs to bed, working too many hours, overwhelmed by too many phone calls, we are not enjoying our time, much less feeling in control of it. So we rush. We rush in the morning to get ready for school, 
and work. We rush to pick up our children. We rush to meetings after dinner. We rush bedtime. Our children rush from school to sport practice or dance lesson. The price for all this rushing is that we do not experience the peace of being with one another, connecting with one another lovingly, graciously, kindly, or patiently. A pace of grace with our children doesn't mean to give up all our activities, although being selective and moderate would do us all a world of good. Slowing down into the speed of gentleness, remaining aware of the value of being together rather than just focusing on what needs to get done, can lead us all to grace. One busy mother of four, who always works as an organizational executive, told me she had been shouting orders at her kids for years, simply because there didn't seem to be time for any other way. After attending a Virtues Project workshop, she began speaking the language of virtues and practicing peacefulness and gentleness with her children. She said they had been having lots more hugs and giggles together and that life, especially each morning, was far more peaceful and orderly. One day she did an experiment to assess the effect of this change. She went back to her habitual yelling and ordering. By the time the kids were in the car ready to leave for school, they were all in tears. Mommy, what's wrong? What happened to your virtues? Her seven-year-old son asked. I'm sorry, darling. Please forgive me for forgetting my patience today. I promise not to turn back into general mom. I'll be gentle mom again. From that moment, she has maintained a more gracious attitude, connecting more lovingly with her children and her husband. They continue to have a very full life, yet through some simple shifts, life in their family has maintained a pace of grace. Using gracious language, the language of virtues, enjoying some personal time with each child before bed whenever possible, and planning ahead, preparing clothes, homework, and lunches the night before. Do one thing at a time. In pacing ourselves, we rarely need to rush. We don't have to make other people's emergencies our own. Being responsible is the ability to respond ably. Of course, we want to be trustworthy and considerate in our dealings with people. However, the pandemic of urgency about everything shouldn't dictate our way of being. Have you ever had the promise of a deadline by a housing contractor only to find that the project goes months beyond it? Have you ever waited in a doctor's office or clinic for hours? Doctors work on too many patients at a time. Builders habitually overextend themselves working on too many houses. If they were more gracious and trustworthy, more focused on completing fewer projects with more 
timeliness, I believe their reputations would precede them. They would be very sought after indeed. One of the boundaries I developed while practicing the Ten Rules of Health was to do only one thing at a time. Because I began to tune in more mindfully to my body, I found that if I was cooking and I answered the phone, I couldn't concentrate on either one very well. I found it draining. If I'm having a massage, conversation distracts me and I can't feel the massage fully. If I'm writing, I write. If I'm resting, I rest. I've seen people in cities rushing across a busy street, dodging traffic with a sandwich in one hand and a cell phone to their ear. They are hunched over, looking anxious and distracted. They remind me of a small animal with repeatedly beating hearts, sorry, rapidly beating hearts. This is what is meant by a mover and shaker. It's no way to live. If we are to savor the moments of our lives, we must resist interruptions. The first time I was invited to be on the Oprah television show, I was in the desert of Alice Springs, Australia, working with Aboriginal teachers. I couldn't make it back in time. Two years later, I received a second invitation to speak about raising children to do the right thing, the theme of their show. There were several other guests chosen for the dramatic stories of how they braved the odds or withstood public opinion or even risked their lives to do the right thing. The green room was very crowded. My segment was the longest one and was to close the show, focusing on the five virtue strategies for raising children with integrity and courage. Everyone was chatting and sharing something about their stories. When one woman asked me what my story was, I told her I was going to talk about my book, The Family Virtues Guide, and how to raise children with the virtues of generosity, service, integrity, and so on. All conversations stopped, and I was bombarded by questions. After answering a few, I was about to stop and tell them I needed to save my voice for Oprah, and was relieved when the makeup woman came for me. She took me into an adjoining room. For me, this was an exciting part of the experience. One of the guests followed me into the makeup room and kept asking questions. I said to him, I'd be glad to talk to you when I'd finished in here. He ignored me and kept talking. More assertively, I said, I appreciate your enthusiasm for my project and I'll be glad to talk to you after the show. I have a personal rule to do one thing at a time. Right now, I'm enjoying having my makeup done. He got it that time. Do you want to be driven or do you want to be led? Robert Greenway Accept what you are given today. Realistically, how can we become content with the life we have achieved or experienced on a given day? 
there always seems to be so much more we have failed to accomplish that it is rare to end the day with a sense of contentment and pleasure. This comes, I believe, from an imbalance that has crept up on us and the fact that we have come to value tasks more than experience or people or joy. We use the expression, God willing, to mean that we can only do what we are meant to do at a given time. Creating a pace of grace is wholeheartedly accepting the rhythm each day brings and surrendering to what is realistic and possible on a particular day. It is a powerful practice of the virtue of contentment and the deepest level is at the deepest level. It is an act of surrender transformed into gratitude. Surrender is not giving up. It is accepting things as they are. It is discerning what is possible and trusting what is provided. It is relaxing into the pace of the day, whatever that day brings. I have often heard the message in prayer, take your time and follow my lead. It has come to mean doing what I can with whatever I am given that day, time, energy, opportunity, and being content with it, rather than stressing out and resisting things as they are. It is also following the leads that our inner wisdom detects as important. Unless we have a quiet mind and a spacious sense of time, these quiet breezes of guidance will simply pass us by. Some of the most meaningful moments in my life have come as a result of listening to that quiet inner voice of discernment. Be content with what you have. Rejoice in the way things are. When you realize there is nothing lacking, the whole world belongs to you. That's Lao Tzu, mystic, Chinese mystic, founder of Taoism, 604 to 531 BCE. Take time off and time out. The radical shift to acceptance makes life so much easier. We cannot squeeze blood from a stone, nor can we squeeze a drop more energy from ourselves than we have. It is far more efficient, both spiritually and materially, to open ourselves with gratitude to whatever energy we are given today, and to accept the times when nothing seems to go right, or we just can't muster our energy for anything other than a mental health day. I recommend this for adults and children. When you know you just don't have the energy for another day of school or work, go on a picnic, take a drive, take the day off. You will return to the tasks of the day with renewed vigor. One day when nothing seemed to go right and my efforts to get things done were frustrated or blocked at every turn, my husband reminded me, some days it goes easy and some days it goes hard. 
the notion that it isn't our fault and that actually we have little control over what's happening is a relief in itself. Some people believe that there are certain times when the forces of the world block everything from turning out right, such as the planet Mercury going retrograde. I must say I've noticed more mechanical things breaking down, as well as communication at such time. I used to drain myself of precious energy by fighting these rifts in the flow of time. Now I think maybe it's a time for a walk on the beach, or lunch with a friend, or a day on the couch with a good book. Have a good day. I have come to realize that work will always expand to fill whatever time we allow for it. Whether it's homework or service projects, office work or whatever job we go to each day, we will always have more than we can finish. We will never experience closure of the sort we seem to pursue so relentlessly. To have a good day is to find our pristine momentum while cherishing and balancing each of the elements of our lives. By balancing purposefulness with moderation, people with tasks and discerning our pace of grace, we will achieve this not so modest goal. A good day is a gentle weaving of reflection, exercise, work, rest, and play with simple gestures of generosity and kindness. If our spiritual task of the day involves reaching out in compassion to a friend who needs us, it will be a good day if we put our other priorities aside. Most days, it only takes small acts of consideration and love to make a world of difference. A love note slipped into a child's lunchbox or partner's pocket, the planning of a favorite meal for dinner, a flower on a pillow, an extra errand run when someone doesn't have time, a dish of food for a family having trouble. These simple acts of kindness rarely take much time. They easily flow from a mindset of grace. They sweeten our lives, allowing us to be a source of grace to others. As you discern the cycles of your own natural rhythm, you will find your pace of grace within the possibilities each day brings. May every day be a good day. Naps fluff us up and make us more kind. As adults, we still need tender places in which to repair our souls and put special glue on the broken places. It's from Sark. Change your life without getting out of bed. Exercise grace. Plan proactive rests. This exercise will help you discern your own natural pace of grace and to discover the best way to restore your energy with proactive rest. Begin by keeping an energy journal for a few days. Notice your peaks and valleys, 
the times you wish you were laying on a couch under a comforter. With this rhythm in mind, plan your rest times before you typically reach a low energy point. Gather the materials you need to take a rest. Plan your rest no more than six hours after you begin spending your energy in the morning. If you are in a state of severe fatigue, make it four hours or less. For some, this time period comes at late morning. For others, it is right after lunch. Materials for your rest kit may include an engaging novel, a comforter or large cotton cloth and pillows, a rolled up towel to place under your knees or neck, a yoga mat if you plan to rest on the floor, a drink of fresh water. Take your second rest just before dinner preparations begin. Relaxing in a chair, watching television, playing quietly with your children, lying down together or reading quietly. Have easy, nutritious snacks ready to nurture everyone at this time of lowered blood sugar. This prevents you from the mad scramble to prepare dinner when everyone is ravenous and often irritable with low blood sugar. When you set a clear boundary for rest and re-entry time, your entire family will adapt to this rhythm and the atmosphere will become peaceful and loving. The need for quiet, close contact can be met while also allowing everyone a restful transition from the busyness of the day. If you are living alone, create your own nurturing ritual for this transition time. Summary of Chapter 8, Create a Pace of Grace. Manage your time and energy mindfully. It is the only sustainable way to live. Regulate your energy each day by finding your natural flow and seeking your pristine momentum. And don't rush. Rest proactively before you get tired. Plan your rest periods and be disciplined in keeping to your routine. If you are in good health, this is likely to be six hours after you start your day. Indulge in perfect naps whenever you can. If you work a five-day week outside of the home, plan naps on weekends. They will restore you. Suggest a rest and restore restoration area at your workplace. Don't work harder, work smarter. Rests and breaks open up a space of grace for fresh ideas and creative solutions. Put people first. They are more important than the tasks you get done. Speak with kindness. Spend quiet time each day. Lay things out the night before to keep mornings peaceful. Take time off. Nothing restores your body and soul like time for just being. Let every day be a good day. 
small acts of grace make a true difference. As you pace yourself more gracefully, you will develop a more loving connection to your body, mind, and spirit. We'll look at other ways to nurture ourselves in the next chapter.